Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 406 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Dexcom, makers of the G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor, the Omnipod Tubeless Insulin Pump, and Touched by Type 1. Touched by Type 1's 20th Annual Dancing for Diabetes show is virtual this year, and you can watch it at touchedbytype1.org. It'll be available on November 14th. That's this Saturday, November 14th, 2020, at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. I just spoke with Elizabeth the other day, and they filmed the entire event in a huge auditorium. She said it was really exciting and definitely worth your time. You know what else is worth your time? The Omnipod Tubeless Insulin Pump, and you can get a free no-obligation demo of that pod sent directly to your home absolutely for the free by going to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And of course, at dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, you can find out a lot about the Dexcom G6, like how to get it, what it is, and oh, by the way, if you get your healthcare through the VA, Dexcom is now covered. Sean lives with type 1 diabetes, he's a husband, and a police officer. And today we're going to talk about a little of all of that, here on the Juice Box Podcast. Can you imagine if I did it all like that? I'd be like, oh, welcome to the Juice Box Podcast, today's show. Anyway, Sean's a cop, I grew up around a lot of police officers, and so I have a little bit of background about what it's like to be a police officer, tiny little bit, a little bit of background tangentially, if you understand what I'm saying. So Sean and I got along very well. He told me how the podcast helped him, what it's like to do his job with type 1 diabetes, and he wanted to come on to encourage young people who'd like to be in law enforcement and who are living with type 1 diabetes to know that they can. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan searching for Spanish doubloons on the bottom of the ocean, or becoming bold with insulin. Oh, I've piqued your interest, haven't I? Let's get to Sean. I'm Sean Hunter. I'm 26 years old. I'm from Camden County, New Jersey. I'm a type 1 diabetic. been diabetic for... Uh, 17 years, and I'm a police officer, also in Camden County, New Jersey, and uh, that's why I was interested in coming on and talking to you, Scott. Cool. That's amazing, because I I think you're the first police officer that's reached out and said, you know, I, I'm happy for you to tell people I'm a police officer. I think I've interviewed other police officers, but they haven't brought up that they are, um, which is interesting sometimes, but I was I was really pleased with, uh, with, your, with your note. Interestingly, I grew up around... You're going to be able to tell in a second because I'm going to say cops instead of police officers because I, I don't know how often I can say police officers. Uh, but I grew up around cops. And right. um, uh, just one of my best friends in the whole world at the time. And then sort of by proxy, you get drawn into their life a little bit. So, you know, I've been at picnics with 40 police officers or going on motorcycle rides with 50 guys that are all cops, you know, in the middle of the night. Which, by the way, if you've never ridden a motorcycle at midnight with 50 cops, you're you're missing. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. There's a there's a real feeling that we can't get a ticket if you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. <laughs> anyway, it's not yet. I was sorry to cut no, you off. I no. was I was just excited to come on and try and give some you know point of view from the law enforcement side. You know, hopefully there's people out there um, that are type one diabetics that are cops and they're you know can listen to this or uh, you know maybe they're kids out there that are that want to be cops and they're kind of skeptical because of the diabetes so i'm trying to hope you know hoping to kind of uh, make it seem that. possible right yeah well you know there's a real irony in this that last night i edited a episode that's going to go up today uh with a young woman in massachusetts i think she's 26 honestly when i recorded with her uh she'd only had diabetes for about a nine months when i recorded with her and she wants to be a police officer and it's just, it's very That's strange because I, I didn't, you know, I didn't schedule that to happen like that, obviously, but it was, it was really interesting. So let's talk a little bit first about being diagnosed when you're nine. 
So that's old enough to have a memory of it, I imagine. And probably in one of those sweet spots for boys where I don't imagine you were thrilled to find out. Yeah, so obviously I was nine years old. Um, I was. It was during the summer. I don't really remember the date. But uh, all I remember is that um, one of the most distinct memories, I was at a pool party. And, uh, you know, I really couldn't quench my thirst, which is one of those, you know, signs. Yeah. Um, and instead of drinking water, you know, I'm a little kid. I wanted to drink soda, um, which obviously was then spiking my blood sugar up higher, which I had no idea about. Um, but then my parents, you know, throughout the night, uh, the, the next couple of nights, they were keeping an eye on me. They thought I was dehydrated. Um, my dad's an EMT. So he said, you know, hey, to my mom, um, hey, take him to the hospital. Maybe he's just dehydrated. They'll give him some fluids and send him home. Um, when we went to the hospital, went in, told the uh, the intake person my symptoms. They brought me immediately back because they know the symptoms of diabetes. Um, and I was kind of in that age group. Yeah. And uh, they tested my sugar, and I was 898. Wow. You're well on your way to something. Had you? Do you remember, had you felt poorly for how long prior to that? Did it come on quickly, or what? what's... What does hindsight then tell you ha- was happening? Do you remember? It was probably like three to five days that I was, you know, feeling really bad, throwing up a lot. Uh, um, obviously, using the bathroom a lot, um, not keeping any food down. And I, my mom said my my eyes were sunken back. You know, just looked like I was dying, which I you was. Were. You know? Yeah. So you were in DKA. Yeah, pretty much. And I, you know, I don't really have I don't really have any memory of that. The only memory I have. Of being in the hospital is that my mom was so nervous that she went to get her insurance card out of her purse and she dropped like three hundred dollars worth of change on the floor that she had in her purse. <laughs> uh, why and it was just like the always... last, you know, like yeah. Sean, why do moms always have so much change in their purse? Like I dated a girl for a long time; she never had a quarter, and then suddenly I had a couple babies with her, and she's got two fistfuls of change in her purse. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, but it was it was just a little bit of laughter to kind of break the the seriousness of the the situation. Yeah, now that's that's amazing. Hey, listen, your voice is cutting in and out on me a little bit. Um, okay. So when you're pausing, it's you probably have noise canceling on your headphones, and so every time you stop talking, it wants to take away background noise. So let's try to figure okay. out a way around that. Um, first of all, is that are those the only headphones you have? Do you have like gamer headphones or something like that by any chance? I don't think so. I can check. No, I don't. even Apple just on the wire with the microphone in the cord. Let me go look. And I don't believe so. It's okay. And if not, I have another idea. So your mom has her little moment of levity that kind of breaks the ice a little bit. You go back. Were you in the hospital long? How long did they keep you? So that night they gave me fluids, brought my sugar back down. I assume, you know, insulin and all that stuff. And then they, uh, transferred me to chop in philly Mm -hmm. and i stayed there for a week a week yeah so i was there for a week for education i guess um okay and but i I specifically remember being there for a week and playing xbox and doing all this cool stuff at chop you know it was a it was a cool hospital for kids so they do a nice job there of um of taking care of kids you know you and i live pretty near each other right yeah, that's that was another reason I wanted to talk to you. It was kind of cool having another New Jerseyan. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's 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 Arden's hospital. That's not where she was, not where she was diagnosed, but um, it's where her endocrinologist is out of. Do you use a an adult endo now in New Jersey? Yeah, so I use um, Cooper uh, Endocrinology. I just commented on your post in the group actually the other day. I use a uh, Doctor Becker from Cooper. It's funny, you were not the only one that brought up that um, practice. So that's usually a good sign when people are like, oh, this place, this place, you know. Um, Yeah. That's excellent. It's hard to find, too, uh, a good adult endocrinology. And you would have some feeling about that, too, because you left CHOP that does a a really good job for kids. And did you, were you able to find Cooper right away, or was there any struggle in between? Yeah, so I actually stayed with CHOP until I think I was 20 or 21 i really didn't want to leave and then i was you know i was the the really old guy going in and seeing all these little kids so they kind of pushed me out um but i found cooper really easily they referred me there and um it was a good transition so it's a funny image by the way of you just (laughs) you rolling through like hey guys what's up (laughs) yeah i'm the veteran walking through with these little kids that are diagnosed 
So how old were you when you thought you wanted to be a police officer? Uh, going throughout high school, I think. So like in that, that 14 to 18 range, um, I grew up with public servants in my family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I enjoyed seeing them go out and make a difference in the world. And that's the reason why I wanted to become a, a cop. Um, so I was, I think as of then, it really you know, drew my attention. I wanted to go do it. And then I, you know, obviously went to college and studied criminal justice and, uh, you know, started to pursue that career field. And there are two paths. There's two paths to it. Am I correct? That you can go to college and take a criminal justice track, or you can just go right to the police academy too. Is, is that the other option or is that not like that anymore? No, that's true. There, there are a lot of different options. Um, you could actually even pay your own way through an academy um, mm-hmm. without having really any, I mean, I think you need some sort of college credits, um, but you can pay your own way through and then kind of get hired out of the police academy with that, you know, police training commission certification. So, so I grew up around, a, like I said, a, a lot of police officers, um, none of them directly in my family, but good friends, you know, through my, my late teens who were a little older than me. Um, and I know, scads of great cops people who want to be cops for the right reason do a great job at it have been at it for decades and i've seen a couple who are sketchy along the way but i have the greatest Mm -hmm. sketchy story that i'm going to share with you at some point because it's hilarious (laughs) and um and and, uh and i and i want to i've never said this on the podcast before but when i was 18 because of being around these people and having no real direction in my life, I thought I'd like to be a police officer. And my local town was hiring three. Right. And so back then they put out a test and you took the test and that test would whittle down. And then there was a, you know, uh, interviews and and it went down to this process. Then they chose from that group of people and sent those people off to the police Academy. So I'm barely 19 years old by the time the test comes up. And, um, Sean, it's weird when you hear me talk on the podcast because I probably seem like an idiot, but I'm, I, um, I'm, I'm bright in strange ways that don't show in regular life, which is, it was just, it's hard to put into words, but this test ended up basically just being an IQ test. It was a, a fancy IQ test and I crushed it. And so when I first told, you know, a friend of mine who back then was, uh, just an officer, you know, that I wanted to do this. The first thing he said was, yo, man, you're 19. They're not going to give you a gun. He's like, he's like, you're never going to get through this process. He's like, you're old enough, technically, you know, air quotes, but no one's going to let you be a cop when you're 19. And I was like, I'm going to take the test anyway. So I take the test and, and just days before the test, the Lieutenant comes to my house and says, Hey, listen, we think this is great, but you know, you need to know you're too young and we're not going to you're never going to make it through. And I was like, okay. And it seemed all very like, you know, I was like, all right, I I understand this, but I did so well on the test that they couldn't weed me out. So the next (laughs) thing I know, I have an interview (laughs) and it's me me and the top 20 people. And, you know, when you're young, I just figured I must've been the 20th person. Um, And at the end of the interview with some of the lieutenants uh, and and certain designated officers, uh, at the end, they told me how well they thought I did. And of course, that I wasn't going to make it to the next round because, you know, I'm 19. And then a couple of weeks later, the letters come out and I make it to the next round. And now I'm in the interviews with the 10. And by the time it was over, I was top six for that job. <laughs> because I was doing Nobody wanted you. Well, they, they wanted me to be older is what they wanted, you know, but I, I hadn't done anything yet that made them think we can't just tell him no, like he's doing better in these interviews than people. And he did, you know, and so when it got down to the top six, I, I actually, by then I was like, is this going to happen? Like, even I started thinking <laughs> I'm only 19. They probably shouldn't give me a gun. <laughs> you know, like I started having that thought on my own. Um, and it, you know, it, it eventually went away gracefully and, and people were very nice about it. And you know, the, the end result was you're, you're too young to be a police officer in our eyes. And, but you know, try again and by the time and you know like openings don't come that often it was a smaller you know price and by the time they did i sort of in my mind moved on um but it was a very strange like nine month period where 
everyone in the town was like, are they going to give that kid a gun? That's <laughs> exactly how it felt for a while. Um, but, but you went to college and you got a, a, you know, a criminal justice degree. Did anything in college dissuade you or were you like straight on the whole way? Like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, so I think originally before I went to college, I, I wanted to do something like, uh, physical therapy or physical therapy, uh, personal trainer kind of background. Um, I'm really into sports and, you know, I played baseball throughout college. Um, but I really wanted to help people and, you know, serve. And that was one of the things that I, I really wanted to do. So I don't think anything really dissuaded me after I went to college. Um, if anything, it pushed me forward, you know, having really good professors who were, um, retired police officers, lieutenants, chiefs, and stuff like that, that, you know, really pushed me towards that goal. And you're not, you're not a cop in a, like a, a nice little town, like the one where I was trying to be a police officer. Like you're, you, you have a tough job, don't you? Um, we're in a smaller town, but we are, you know, definitely a, a pretty busy town, um, with, with a lot of different calls for service and, you know, some pretty serious crimes that happen. So it's, you know, it's, we definitely get our share of, uh, of fun stuff that happens. Yeah. I have, um, <clears throat> an acquaintance from years ago, who's an older gentleman, older than I, and he was, uh, he did a task force in South Jersey serving drug warrants. And okay. he said he could only do it for about a year. He said it was the most heartbreaking, horrible job he had ever had in his life. And about a year into it, he went back to his chief and he's like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, you, you, yeah. it, it needs to be someone else. Yeah, I, I actually started my career in uh, a pretty infamous city down in South Jersey. Um, I worked there for almost three years and then I, uh, switch departments and I'm in a, like I said, a smaller town now, but, uh, still pretty busy. You know, you and I might have a conversation after this is over because the stories he told me were not, they're not appropriate for the show. Um, they have nothing right. to do with diabetes, but they're horrifying and, yeah. um, and they've shaped a, a lot about how I think about some of the jobs people have to do. Uh, yeah. so, you know, so you're, you're into helping people, but your father's, how old's your father now? Is he still an EMT? Uh, he, so he slowed down a little bit on the EMT side. He's a uh, paid firefighter. He actually just got promoted to a uh, deputy chief. He actually works in the same town I work in as a police officer. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> My dad did volunteer firefighting when we were kids. He never became professional at it, but he was a, a dedicated guy it, who kind of broke the, um, what some people might have is, a. Uh, I don't know, uh, a vision of what a volunteer fireman is, is a, a guy trying to get away from his family, drinking beer at the back of a, of a building that has a couple of fire trucks in it, but he really cared about it and, and did really good work. And for a number of years, um, you know, especially before alarm systems became common, um, there were a lot more fires. Like you, right. you don't realize are not, things don't burn down as much as they used to 20 years ago. Um, but he was a firefighter during a time in, in our town and surrounding places where things really, really, uh, they needed firefighters and, and there were some serious building fires. Um, and I, I, I actually did it for three years through my teenage years as well. And, uh, I only did it for three years, but, um, but I learned a lot about being calm right. and, uh, not freaking out when most other people are freaking out. And, uh, it's, uh, right. it's an interesting thing until you've stood in a room that is completely on fire, like walls, ceiling, and you've got a hose in your hand and, you know, the, you went in there to save the building, but you realize now you're then there to save yourself. <laughs> you, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different thing. And, and I wonder about that with being a police officer, like how much of your day is spent, like how hard is it, I guess, is my question to go out into the world with a, with the idea I'm out there trying to help other people, but your first thought is always, I can't help them if I'm dead. Like, is that in your head constantly? What's it like to be on the street is my question. Do you or someone that you love use insulin? Do you have type one or type two diabetes? Are you finding that your blood sugar gets low and you become sweaty, disoriented? It gets very high. You feel sick to your stomach. Would you like to stop that from happening? Would you like to be able to address those issues with carbohydrates or insulin as necessary and needed without having to poke a hole in your finger a bazillion times a day? You can do that with the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. That's available at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. 
find out when your blood sugar is on the move because Dexcom will show you not only what your blood sugar is, let's say 125, but it'll show you what direction it's moving in, up or down, or is it steady, and how quickly is it moving in one of those directions? Are you moving one point a minute, two, three? Dexcom can tell you. It can tell you in real time, and it can show you right there on your iPhone or Android. And if you don't want that information on your phone, you can carry a Dexcom receiver with you. Now you tell this receiver or your phone, this is the range I'm comfortable in. But please, when I fall below this number or go above this number, tell me, just like my daughters just did. My daughter's Dexcom is telling me that her blood sugar is over 120 by beeping like that. Why 120? Because that's where we set it. And you could set your own range and have a better, fuller picture of what your blood sugar is doing. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. And by the way, this is new. If you're using the VA to get your insurance, Dexcom's now covered. Go to the link. When it asks you what kind of insurance you have, you just say VA that easy dexcom.com forward slash juice box now how are you going to get that insulin well you could use an omnipod tubeless insulin pump like my daughter has been doing since she was four years old arden by the way is over 16 now and she's been using an omnipod every day during that time it's an absolute friend in life with type 1 diabetes and if you're using insulin for type 2 diabetes same thing MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box. Here's the greatest part. They're going to send you, if you like, a free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod. It'll come directly to your home where you can try it on and wear it for yourself, where you can see what tubeless means. Not being tethered to something, not having to wear a pack with insulin in your belt or your bra or something like that. This thing's all in one. It's tiny, it's compact, it's easy to wear. You can hide it or wear it out loud and proud, doesn't matter. And when you do need to do something with your insulin, the controller is completely separate from the pump and it's easy to carry in your pocket or purse. Omnipod is definitely something you wanna look at if you're considering leaving injections or you're looking to leave your tubed insulin pump. Myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. Check it out. Last thing, of course, Touched by Type 1's 20th Annual Dancing for Diabetes show is this Saturday, November 14th, 2020 at 7 p.m. Touchedbytype1.org. Go check out all the kids and their amazing dance routines. It has to be virtual this year, but everybody has their fingers crossed for next year being back in person. Dancingfordiabetes.org. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. The links in your show notes, links at juiceboxpodcast.com. Now it's time to find out more about living with type 1 diabetes and being a police officer. It's definitely in the back of your head, and you always have to think about that when you're going, you know, to uh, calls for service or you're stopping cars or anything like that. Um, you always have to think about those situations, and be- because if you're not thinking about it, and, and something happens, you're not going to be able to react to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't let it, you know, take over, you know, your mind and take over the situation. You have to obviously we have a job to do. Um, whether that is to um, help someone or if we end up having to arrest someone or, uh, you know, anything like that. Like I said, you, you can't really let those thoughts uh, take over in that situation, but it always has to be in that the back of your mind. Yeah. Um, I've been to a lot of training and I've listened to a lot of people talk and they kind of talk to or talk about it like uh like flipping your switch. You always have to have a little bit of violence on standby. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's something that you have to train and you get used to as you gain experience on the job. You know, you can't expect a guy with six months on the job to come in and say, you know, be able to, to flip that switch. But, you know, maybe a guy with five or 10 years on the job, he's, he's more acquainted with that violence that he has on standby. He can, uh, if he has to use it, he can, you know? Yeah. It's a special person that can, kind of walk that line. And I have always seen with the people I know who are police officers that some of the hardest 
one of the hardest things they have to do personally, I think, is be able to separate, I guess. I don't know a better way to say it, but I what I noticed is, is that their entire day is spent with people who are breaking the law or trying to get over or something like that. And then how hard is it not to, in your personal life, think that everybody's trying to get over and treat people like people when you're home, but be have enough, you know, I don't know, just, you know, understanding of what the world can be. Like you often don't find a job where you're directed at crime constantly or people who are in that mindset. And I know you'll still run into citizens who need help and they're obviously not thinking like that. But when you get there, right, when you get out of that car, like who's who and how do you figure that out? And, you know, and how do you stop yourself from being suspicious of everybody? Do you find that yet? Or or you have you not been in it long enough to have that like feeling? No. So I, I definitely, I definitely know where you're coming from. It's, it's, I definitely, um, you know, see people different even when I'm not at work or um, just going out with the family, stuff like that. You know, you definitely kind of um, look at people differently and you kind of, because you have to, you know, especially if you're living in that, that yellow um, area where you're, you're trying to react to things. Um, you definitely see people differently. But if you're going to a situation and you have to find out what's going on, that just takes good investigative skills. And, you know, that's all built over time. I would say that I'm definitely, you know, getting better at it. I wouldn't say I'm great, you know, only having five years on the job. Um, but, you know, you, you gain those skills over time and you get better at finding out who's the good person and who's the bad person just based off of their reactions and their uh, um, demeanor. You learn to read people. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to get into how this all affects your diabetes or doesn't or how you deal with it in a second. But have you had a moment yet where you thought, nah, I don't need to be a cop anymore. Like, has anything really frightening happened that makes you rethink it? I, one of my close friends always tells me about the first um, home intrusion he went into that was happening. And he got in the house and the intruder went into the basement. And, you know, the homeowners, like he went downstairs and my friend standing at the top of the staircase and he pulls his gun out and starts going downstairs and realizes as he's going down that because of the makeup of the house, that his legs and his entire lower half of his body are going to be visible long before he can get his eyes into the space. And he said there was a split second right. there where he thought, why don't I just leave? <laughs> and uh, But he did. He went, he went down and did what he was supposed to do. But he's like, there was that moment where he was like, do I really want to be a police officer? And now's the time for me to know, you know, have you had one of those yet? Or how, how's it gone for the first five years? Um, there's definitely been a lot of those, uh, you know, those pucker moments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if you'd want to call them that. Um, uh, I just recently, I think within the last eight months or so, um, was put on our regional county SWAT team. Um, so there's definitely been a lot of those moments where if we are clearing a house or we're going into a situation um, where we're possibly going to go in and find someone, you know, you, you kind of think about it like, man, this is kind of crazy. Like, we're the guys that are going in. <laughs> we're the first people who are, are going to get hurt if something happens. But um, I think we kind of wear that as a badge of pride. Like, hey, we're the guys that went in and, and found this person. Or we're, the per- we're the people that went in and uh, – got the job done and i think it's it's a little bit crazy sometimes but i think that's something that uh, um you have to have as a police officer to kind of have that that pride of saying hey i'm i'm the guy that got that job done or i'm the guy that went out and did that thing you know yeah no i hear you um so i have to uh i'm gonna tell you my funny story and then i'm i'm gonna get into how diabetes is this so i grew up in this in a pretty small town and I'm going to give not enough details, especially because the internet back then, you know, you could find it if you tried hard enough. But um, we, I grew up in this small town, you know, the police department of probably 10 or 15 guys. It's grown over the years. And there was this one officer who was just quiet. He went about his business. He wrote his tickets. He didn't really do much else. That was kind of the vibe about him. Like, you know what I mean? Like he wasn't going to wasn't going to do much and he was just going to do what he was supposed to do. And, yep. and he just was, he was wallpaper. He just, there he was. And you saw him and you never thought twice about him. He's a decent enough guy. He wasn't a bad guy, nothing like that. And then one day he gets arrested because 
Well, wait, hold on. I swear to you, you're going to love this. He found out about sunken treasure in the ocean and decided that he was going to dive for it. And this was going to be how he was going to live the rest of his life off of these doubloons. Okay. But how is he going to get enough money for the dive? Obviously, he's going to start robbing drug houses in the area. So he did and was fairly successful at it for a while. If my memory serves, until one day he went into a place, you know, a, a place where a lot of people were doing drugs and they were selling drugs out of the place that he knew about. He went in there as a police officer to rob the place, which he had been doing. And someone using drugs in the place, if on my memory serves, the son of a local politician recognized him. And that's how he got caught. No lie. The story goes that he went to prison, did his time, and then got out and disappeared. And people think he went and found that treasure and left because they never got the money back from the robberies. He just, he shut up. He did his time. He held on to his money. He got out and he, and they think he went and got that money somehow off the ocean floor. So I always imagine this man somewhere on an island, just with a big smile on his face with that same sort of like lackadaisical, like, I'm just here. Like, I just think of him as just existing. I don't know if that's actually what happened to him, but in my mind, that's, that's how I like to think of him, but that's nuts, right? Yeah. I can't even, I I can't even wrap my head around that. He was, just doing that. That's crazy. And it was as much about the fact that he was just the quietest guy who was probably at the time near 50 years old. He'd probably been a cop 15 or 20 years. Like it just really, it, it was insane. And it and it's a hundred percent true. And I know it's true because I know enough of the details to Google it. And I just found two news stories on it while I was talking to you. So I, I know it's not just stories <laughs> that people told, uh, but that was it. Like, you know, you woke up one day and you're like, hey, remember Officer blah, blah, blah? Yeah, he got arrested. How come? He was robbing drug houses to make money to go look for Spanish doubloons on the bottom of the ocean floor. And you were like, get the hell out of here. That is crazy. <laughs> anyway, I hope you don't go that way, Sean. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't plan on it. <laughs> Listen, I don't think he had planned on it his whole life. It's just one day he snapped. I, I guess it was just one too many free medium coffees from 7-Eleven. He was like, I'm done with this. <laughs> Anyway, um, what I really want to know about is, you know, we just described a job that is can be, um, you know, fulfilling. You're off helping citizens. It can go from that fulfillment to anxiety and adrenaline very quickly. You have to be ready at a moment's notice. How do you manage your type one diabetes through that? That's why you're here. I really want to hear how you do that. Um, so I, I was actually using a Medtronic pump. But I just switched to an Omnipod. Okay. Um, and I use the Dexcom G6. Mm-hmm. Um, so you actually push me towards the Omnipod with your ads. Oh, on your, those work. Your show. Excellent. <laughs> hey, Dexcom and Omnipod, the ads work. Keep buying them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I use the Omnipod and the Dexcom, um, and I kind of just use the principles that you talk about while I'm at work. You know pre-bolusing and um, bumping and nudging are the, the, the two biggest things that I try to use. Um, you know, not trying to, you know, use or uh, have mountains in my, my numbers, you know what I mean? Just have them be small rolling hills if I if they end up getting too high or too low, you know? So is creating that stability helping you win out of nowhere – you do a car stop and something looks weird and you feel that adrenaline kick in. Does your blood sugar jump up at that time? Does it try? See, I, I haven't really ever had too much of an effect from adrenaline with my, uh, my sugar going too high, but it definitely having a more stable blood sugar and more stable numbers throughout the day definitely helps if something does, you know, go bad and say I'm away from my, my snacks or something like that. It definitely helps to have a more stable number if I if I'm away from things for a while, you know. See, I think that's interesting what you just said. So that when you and I, I believe this as well. When you create stability that runs over hours and days, then when something happens that some people see as like, oh, this thing threw me way off, I think they don't realize the whole picture sometimes. 
if their basil's too high or too low, if they're bolusing too much at meals because their basil's too low, or whatever the things are, they have this imbalance of insulin running through their life. And then when something happens, it's easier for things to get upside down because so many other things are wrong. And so now that you've created the stability, when things come up, you're okay. What about, excuse me, what about um, you ever have to like suddenly jump on foot and take off? Is it in your head? Like, like, I, you know what I mean? Like, are you ever going to go pull your gun and pull out a candy bar instead? Cause you've got stuff on you. Like, how do you handle like, like when you're away from the car, I guess you, are you ready Um, for that? Yeah, so I actually always have something with me. I always have like a glucose gel and I have like two or three in my pocket mm-hmm. um, at work. Um, but like I said, I always try to keep my blood sugar pretty stable. If I feel like I'm going low, um, I will correct it before it gets, you know, too low. Just in case something like that does happen. And being on you know, different scenes in different situations, you know, I, like I said, I always try and keep stuff on me. There have been situations where if I'm standing outside of a house on the perimeter and I'm going low, it's like, hey, let me, uh, you know, I pull, call a guy up to me and say, hey, you know, watch this side. I'm going to just, you know, shoot some glucose real quick and then I'll, you know, right back in the fight. But I, like I said, I try to keep everything pretty stable so I don't don't have to get into that situation. So I can go an hour or two inside of the house or on a job and not have to worry about my sugar crashing or spiking. Yeah. So because that's sort of your reality while you're at work, do you find that your management, I'm going to say control, although I know some people don't like that idea, but do you find that your control is better while you're working because you're more present about it? Or do you carry that into your regular life? Because you do you work shift work as well? Yeah. So we switch um, each month. So I'm actually working on days uh, this month, and then next month we'll switch to to night work. Um, We we work a 12-hour shift, so we work 6.30 to 6.30. And uh, But I actually, like you said, I actually think I have better control while I'm at work because of, like you said, that that awareness that things could go bad really quick, you know? Yeah, and so the reason I bring it up is because it's a, it's a simple idea that translates to everybody's life. And, you know, you can say it anyway, you know, I've said it a bunch of different ways over the years, but if you pay attention for small moments, you don't get into big problems. It's when you try to ignore diabetes for three, four, six hours at a time and just hope that it's going to be okay that you wake up to find, Oh, my blood sugar is 200 points higher than I thought, or I've been 50 all night long or something like that. Um, but when you just look once in a while, it takes a, a brief couple of moments to say, oh, I'm good, or I need a little bump here or something, and get right back in the game. I'd much rather spend 30 seconds never getting way out of bounds than pretending for three or four hours that everything's okay. And and so I, when you were describing how you handle work, I thought, I bet you he's like really within tolerances at that time. Where do you set your your goals at high and low on your CGM? So before listening to you, I had them wherever Dexcom has them preset. I think it's 70 to like 220 or something like that. Okay. But since listening to you, I bumped it down to originally 70 to 140, and now I'm 70 to 130. Yeah, good for you, man. Um, Your A1C is probably sub six. Were you like five seven, five eight? Last one. So I I just started listening to your podcast in January, I think. Okay. And then my next appointment after that, I think, was in March, um, and I was at, like, Mm 6.1, and I'm excited to go and get my blood work done for my next appointment because I'm I'm fairly certain I'm going to be under uh, 6. Yeah, congratulations. That's very, very well done. What were you prior to finding the show? Do you mind saying? Um, I think I was uh, low low sevens or high sixes. I could probably pull it up. Yeah, like exactly. Probably like a six, seven to, to seven, you know? That's a, that's a really great um, adjustment. Do you feel differently by any chance? I definitely feel better, um, especially um, so before, even when I would go work out, you know, go to the gym, do stuff like that, um, it was tough trying to keep my sugar in range. Okay. Um, but then being able to, to find a good basal rate um, I can go out into the gym 
and work out for an hour and not have my sugar go out of range for that, that hour, hour and a half, you know, and that's, that's something that is, is pretty freeing for me because I work out a lot. You know, that's, that's one of the things I enjoy doing. Mm. How did you handle it in college? Because I know at every level of baseball, it doesn't matter what division you're in. The guys, they lift a lot. They do a lot of hard workouts. Practices are long. Were you constantly feeding your insulin when you were in college? Yeah, so I can tell you that I was a terrible diabetic in college. That's one of the things I regret a lot about um, my life as a diabetic. Um, probably the last three years, or you know, the first three years, my senior year, I was definitely more focused on it. Um, but I wouldn't check a lot. Um, I wasn't using a CGM throughout college. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was checking my sugar, but I was using a Medtronic pump. But I wouldn't check my blood sugar a lot. I would really only do it, you know, uh, before bed and then after I woke up in the morning, you know, and then kind of just ride the feeling I had throughout the day. If I felt low, I would eat. If I felt like I was too high, I'd give myself insulin. Yeah. And... Again, like I said, that's that's one of the things I kind of regret about my life as a diabetic is kind of just living that uncontrolled life for, for a few years in my college years. How was it before college when your parents were more involved? Do you remember being similar? Yeah, I mean, I was I was pretty good. I wasn't, you know, anything crazy like I am now, you know, where I'm in pretty tight control. Yeah. But, um I was more controlled because obviously they're looking over my shoulder um, and they're making sure that I'm doing things correctly and making sure I'm testing for, uh, for meals and giving myself insulin prior to eating rather than after eating and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I, I have to say that it's impressive what you've done. And on a personal level, I feel like in an indirect way, I'm protecting South Jersey now. So I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> Feel like I'm making it easier for you to protect them, and uh, so I'm yeah. going to take credit in my own mind. I won't say it to anybody else except for the tens of thousands of people that are hearing me say it right now. But that's not the point, really. I'm joking mostly, but I'm happy that you're um, able to do your job better and live a better life just off of a couple of small ideas. Really, um, you know, right tools, right job. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it, but it sort of is what it is. Um, yeah, that's all it is, man. It's yeah. all it is. It's just having the right tools and the right mindset to, to go out and, and make things work. I'm happy so, for you. How long have you been married? You said you were married. You seem as, although I was married when I was 26, when you said it, I was like, oh, too young. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been married for, I'm growing up three years or four years now. Yeah, four years. We got married in 2016, October 2016. Um, so... What's that? What does that make me? Twenty-two. I'm about as good as you at math. Yeah, I I don't know. If you ask me how old I was when I got married or when I had my children, I have no idea. Even though the years, I know, like I know when my son's born, but if you ask me how old I was when he was born, I don't know. And that's even more ridiculous because he was born in 2000, so the math is really simple, <laughs> yeah. and I still can't come up with it off the top of my head. Um, but that's neither here nor there. So, um, did you guys know each other a long time? Yeah, we actually met in college. Um, she's from North North Jersey in Warren County, um, but we met in college. She was actually my uh, my RA my sophomore year of college. I see, Sean. You started out trying to get a, a decent room, and then went better. I, I see. I well, listen. Interesting. She was from North Jersey. When she got into South Jersey, she probably thought she was in Pennsylvania, right? Because people from North Jersey think that think that like Princeton is South Jersey. Yes, yeah. she, she's definitely. It was definitely a culture shock at first when she moved down here with me. <laughs> it's a very interesting thing. So New Jersey sort of split into these three: it's North, Central, and South. People in South Jersey think the Trenton area, where the capital is, for example, they think of that as North, but that's Central. The right. people in the only, only the people around Trenton understand that there's a North and a South because the people up North by the city just think that by the time you get to Trenton, that's the bottom of New Jersey. Um, right. It's it's interesting how we don't understand the state at all. <laughs> the state's weird though man it's, it's, there's a lot of different things going on around here yeah well once you get far enough south it feels like you're in philly honestly it feels like you're in a suburb of philadelphia like do you yeah. feel like you live in philadelphia moreover or is that taboo to say down there nah we're more suburban like you said we're you know little neighborhood um nice little house so it's yeah. it's not really 
not really city like, but we definitely, I mean, we're like 20 minutes from Philly. So, right. Just, just tell everybody for a second, not to get off track too far, but explain the joy when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Wasn't it? Uh, it was great. It was just amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> I never thought I was going to say it. I thought for sure I would die before it happened. And uh, and uh, it was. I just remember sitting in my house for the last twenty minutes of the game, thinking like, I, I think they could win. <laughs> <laughs> Such a strange. Yeah, thing it was great to have no hope ever to grow up with no hope around sports. <laughs> that and the uh, the Phillies in 08. I was uh, more excited about that. I was so thrilled. I my son was still kind of young. And if I remember correctly, there was some weather that pushed the game, the last World Series game, a day or two. And we were down to, like, carving pumpkins for Halloween while the game was being played. And I remember Cole being in the kitchen, a little kid carving it. Excuse me. A little kid carving his pumpkin. And I just was like, come out here. Like, you have to watch this. And, And he's like, what? Like, it's baseball. And I'm like, no, no. And I remember, even if though he was that young, he was eight years old, I said the last time the Phillies won the World Series, uh, my dad was alive, and he's dead now. So I'm going to be dead the next time this happens. So stand here with me and watch this. <laughs> and then, of course, the next year they're back in the World Series, and he's like, I thought you told me this was never going to happen again, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was a great baseball team there for, for a number of years. So yes, it was. Have you heard Sam on the show? Sam's a coach. Sam Fold. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually listened to both of his episodes. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, he's uh he's terrific. Um and I, I love that he's in Philadelphia. I was so happy when that felt so random to me when he left the uh the A's and then suddenly was coaching in Philly. I thought, Oh, this is terrific, you know. Um Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, so okay, so you've got this job. The shift work I want to get into for a second, but I have to clear my throat. I apologize, Sean. I think it's just like a little Corona back there or something. I'm not sure exactly, but you <coughs> uh, shouldn't joke about that. Um, shift work. Now, when my buddy was young, they had shifts that you would probably think was crazy. He'd work five, seven, seven to threes. The early, the early guy was six to two. And then there were three to 11s. The early guy was two to 10. And then 11 to 7, and then there was an always an early guy. So there was always this one guy that came in an hour before the shift started, left an hour before to keep this overlap going. So there was always a car on the street while people were switching over, that kind of feeling. Um, but they would work them five on, three off, five on, three off, and they would they – would, I don't know how he did it. Like I, I, there were times I thought it was going to kill him. He said he'd come out of a midnight into a three, 3 to 11 and felt like he lost two weeks of his life. And it, but yeah. you're but you're doing you're doing twelve hours for how many days in a row? So we work a Pittman schedule. Um, so I worked Monday and Tuesday, mm-hmm. and then I'll work all weekend. So I'll work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then it just flips that next week. So after I work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'll be off Monday, Tuesday, work Wednesday and Thursday, and then off Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay, so there's these two days. They keep moving forward on the calendar. You have off month. You'll have off like Wednesday, Thursday, then Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, like that kind of a thing. But you're always working yeah. five. Yep. Yeah. So if you, if it's it's easier to think about it. We just we basically we have every other Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Every other Friday, which is a good Saturday, schedule. Saturday. I yeah, like it. It is. But now, how does your management change, um, or does it daytime to nighttime, days off? How do you? Do you, do you find yourself changing basal rates or anything like that? The only thing that I find is I may have to back my basal down on a night work um, because I, I kind of jack my basal up. Um, I have my basal setting kind of jacked up at night when I sleep because I tend to rise when I sleep. Um, so I kind of use the technique that you've talked about um, is like the two two hours before I see that rise, I kind of jacked my basil up, and it's it's helped level out my sugar overnight while I'm sleeping. Okay. But but with that jacked up basil rate, I kind of just kind of temp basil while I'm at work at night. I know I can set up different basil patterns on the the pod, but I think that's more complicated than I'm my brain can handle. You know what I mean? <laughs> I <think laughs> Especially you- trying to switch. 
Sorry, guys. No, no, I feel like you could do it, but uh, but I I think you would need three different one, three different programs. You would need um you need a day off. You need your day off program. You'd need a night night work program and a day work program. I would think I would think there's a way to do that. Um and then you have to just go into your settings and change from days to nights, but Anyway, you're doing great. It's not like you need it, but if it makes it easier for you one day, the yeah, it's, it's, there. it's definitely just been easier to kind of temp basil as I need it, you know. Or oh. if I see if I see a change, you know, looking at my graph, I can just kind of temp it and then deal yeah. with it. So now, do you ride with someone, or are you in a single? No, nah, so we're uh, we ride solo. Um, our town is kind of small enough where uh, we have a two guy minimum for the street. Mm-hmm. Um, we work squads of three guys, um, so a supervisor and two patrolmen. Um, but we, like I said, we ride solo. Um, it's easier to cover more area. Uh, we have a, a four square mile town, which is small, but we are still pretty busy with calls for service. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering about the guys that you work with. Do you, have you told each and every one of them? Do you tell each one of them or do they just know on their own or is it private? Like, how do you handle being diabetic in a setting like that? So everyone knows. Um, I don't, if, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think it had has to come up really on like a hiring process. Mm. I, I think it, I think it's a, something that should come up in a, in a job like, like a police officer, you know, it's more demanding than like a desk job, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but like I said, everyone knows um, the guys that I work with, no, they're not super um, knowledgeable on like what to do in different situations. They kind of know, um, like they know if my alarms go off, they they look at me like you all right. Right. Guys are great, aren't they? Just guys. I I don't know. Women will never really be able to appreciate this, but when you just get a bunch of guys together, I'm sure you work with females too. But guys are just like you all right. No, you're not gonna die. All right, good. And then it's sort of a, like, yeah. I wish you knew how little we thought about things, generally speaking. Uh, yeah. But I, I get the vibe. What you're saying, they check on you a little bit, and th- that doesn't get old for you. Like it feels brotherly, I guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. Hmm. I've always been really open about my diabetes, um, and I, I really don't care that I have it. It sucks sometimes, but uh, um, it's a part of me. So I think that you know, people should know that I have it and how to deal with it, you know, especially with being on the SWAT team. Um, I've talked to those guys about it. Uh, we have a medic on the team who's specifically assigned to, um, have medical interventions if we need it. And I, you know, I gave him some glucose gel and told him like, Hey, listen, if I go down, you know, if I pass out or something, look at my, look at my phone. If my number's red, give me some, some glucose, you know? Um, but that's really the, the extent of it. Yeah, the, the extent of knowledge that they really need to know about it. Your, is your SWAT team like my buddies is? Is it made up of a, guys from a lot of neighboring towns? And when something happens, you all come together? Yep, we have about uh, five or six different towns that are on the team. Uh, we're like 20 to 22 guys. And then you support all, all the team supports all those towns in the 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 situation where it's needed. How often do you get called for that? Um. We're kind of few and far between for call outs, especially now with, you know, the, the, the virus and everything that's going around. Um, so we'll get call outs every once in a while for like a barricaded subject or, um, you know, emotionally disturbed person, something like that, where people are barricading in a house and we're, you know, obviously the people who are more well trained for those situations. Um, but we also do, uh, search warrants, like narcotic search warrants and, uh, high-tech crime search warrants, like uh, different stuff like that. Um, we do those more more than we get called out for situations. I see. How, has COVID-19 changed how you do your job? Uh, yes. So we've, I don't know if it's for the better or not, but we've definitely changed the way that we do things. Um, uh, we're handling a lot more calls um, over the phone. So like, whereas before somebody would call, calling like a theft complaint or something like that. They're reporting something stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, we would go out to their house and talk to them and, you know, get all their information. 
information and then do the report. Whereas now we're, you know, handling that call over the phone. Um, so we don't have contact with people. <laughs> there's going to be an app one day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a, there's actually a lot of police departments that are doing it now where you can report like nonviolent crimes or, you know, property crimes on their, their website. You can just go on, put in the information for your report and then, um, it'll be investigated by the police department. So there, there are probably really police officers that will never work on the street. They'll just do like, they'll do crime digitally. That's really, that makes sense right. though. I mean, honestly, as the population explodes, you can't be everywhere constantly, right? I mean, it just it just makes sense. Um, and yeah. limiting contact is limiting contact. But but in a in a real situation, like listen, I know there's they've probably given you. I don't want to get you in trouble. They've probably given you rules about how to handle yourself. But the fact of the matter is that if something goes down out of nowhere, quick, you're not going to stop to cover your face before you go do your job, right? Like you're going to end up doing what you're going to do. Um, I don't see how in some lines of work that's, do you know what I mean? Like, hold on a second. I'm sorry that guy's hitting you. Let me just get my face mask on before I come over there and help. Like, that's not going to be the case. Do you find yourself somewhere between reality and what a perfect situation would call for? Yeah. So we actually have a, uh, a response protocol or continuum that we have. Um, that our command staff put down to us and it, you know there's always that um, that section that says if you know everything in this you know policy or whatever is subject to you know situations so if there is a situation like you're explaining where it is an emergent like we're pulling up and someone's getting beat up or something like that we're not going to take into account the time to uh, to put a face mask on or put our um, personal protective equipment on. You know, we have to go address the situation, and then once everything is calmed down, then we'll go back and we'll put our mask on and we'll deal with that. You know, but we have a we have a job to do. We have a duty to protect people, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to worry about you know those you know the time it takes to put that mask on. How do you personally think of COVID nineteen in relationship to you having type one? Are you going with? I mean, I'm sure you're you're being careful as, as you can, but are, are you going with, I'm healthy, my blood sugars are stable, they're in a good range, I'm probably at no more risk than someone else, or do you have concerns? Um, I wouldn't say I have um, a lot of concerns. I, uh, I kind of am, like you said, I'm, I'm pretty healthy. Um, I think my immune system is pretty good, you know, minus the fact that I have diabetes, but um, I wouldn't say I'm too concerned about contracting it. And I think if I did contract it, I think I would, you know, I would be okay fighting it off, you know, yeah. or having my body deal with it. Well, as my friend Vicky said to me, your immune system is pretty tough. It kicked the shit out of your pancreas. So right. uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very strange situation to be in though. Um, honestly, you know, you're, you're looking and it makes sense what I'm hearing. I, I don't disagree with like I, I cover my face when I go out. I don't think I'm sick, but if I am, I don't want to make someone else sick during this time, you know, or wherever, if I can help it. And at the same point, you know, we have to be a little realistic at, you know, moving forward. We're not all going to live inside of our homes for the rest of our lives. It's just not what's going to be. I, I really hope we get to a point where we protect people who are at risk and, you know, and everyone else sort of gets to go back and, and do what they're going to do. But yeah, I mean, you're just in a unique situation. You, you, you really are. Yeah, I've yep. seen I've seen it happen. Fire calls and rescue calls. I've seen it happen with police officers. There's a moment where you have to make a decision and you can't always do everything. You can't always open up the book and follow the steps. Sometimes it has to be, you know, like you said, this is emergent We and we need to act right now. There's a story the other day about a a very, um, you know, dedicated nurse who had a, I forget where it happened, but she had a patient who was in trouble and she ran into the room and it ended up killing the nurse. Like she died a couple of weeks later from Corona and, wow. uh, but she didn't, they say she didn't stop. She knew she wasn't unaware of what she was doing, but she felt a calling to help these people. It's what her job was and, and she did it. And it's what it called for in the moment. And I'm assuming that's how police officers feel as well. Yeah, there's a, like I said, there's a, there's a calling, like you said, and, you know, we have a purpose 
world. Everyone has a purpose. And, you know, my purpose is to, to go out and help people and uh, make a difference or at least try to make a difference. And that's what I that's what I do every day. I strap on the uniform and strap the vest on. I go out and um, try to fulfill that purpose and make a difference in someone's world. Yeah, you're a good dude, man. Like it's uh, it's a special person who's willing to to take a job like that. I think of, you know, it, it's it's really strange because, you know, over the last number of years, you'll hear stories about, you know, cops who aren't doing things the right way or, you know, violating people's civil liberties in a way that I think everyone can look at and think that's not okay. Uh, I don't want that to be happening, but I I always get afraid of just like with everything else, you don't hear enough stories about all the people who are just out there doing it, you know, and doing a good job and doing it for the right reason. It's the internet or the news, you know, you hear about the bad stuff, not the good. It's Mm -hmm. nobody, nobody takes five minutes to click through a picture to find out about, you know, a police officer who, um, stopped and, you know, got a cat out of a tree or helped a woman across the street, not to use a bunch of old, you know, tired uh, ideas, but you know what I mean? Like just to do the regular everyday things that people need. It's a kindness and it's their job. And we never hear about that, you know? Um, right. It's, it sucks. It, it really is. It, it, it's terrible to have bad apples be able to ruin the whole barrel, but you know, especially when you're out there working so hard and doing such a good job. So I really appreciate what you're doing. And I'm sure everyone else does as well, especially with your circumstances. But moreover, Sean, I'm really thrilled with how far you've come with your type one and what is basically like six or seven months. It's a- yeah, I, I I definitely feel better. And I appreciate, you know, you putting the info out there. You've definitely helped me because I've known a lot of these things, you know, whether it's pre-bolusing or, you know, using a little bit less insulin if my sugar's high and trying to, to make it come down a little bit more gradually than, you know, than plummeting, you know, um, getting my basal rates right. I've known all these things, but kind of hearing it from somebody else and hearing it from a podcast, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts is, you know, it's definitely helped and it's definitely pushed me to, to make a change. I'm thrilled for you. I really wish I understood. I think I, in a, in a broad way, have the idea of what it's like, but I still don't, like when people like you say what you just said, like I knew a lot of this, I just didn't do it. Do you have a feeling for what it was about hearing it through a podcast that made you go, I'm going to try this? Do you, do you think you were just ready or did it flip a switch? Do you have any idea? Even you might not even know. Man, I I don't really know. I Like you said, I it could just be I was ready to do it, you know, kind of just ready to take the, take the not the risk, but, you know, take the risk and just say screw it i'm gonna i'm gonna mess with my basal rates now i'm gonna do this stuff and see if it works and you know if it works it works if it doesn't then i'll just change it i don't know if you've ever heard of uh jocko willink and his podcast but um he talks about having you know being disciplined in your life and just how discipline equals freedom and i try to live that way in my personal life and my work life and be disciplined in the things i do but I wasn't really being too disciplined with my diabetes. I was kind of letting that go to the wayside. So I think it, it was just me realizing it was time to, to take control of, of the diabetes and, you know, be in control of um, everything in my life rather than just letting one thing go. So. Just feeling like I've got all these other things in line. Why am I, Why the hell am I ignoring this one thing that's got such impact over, you know, everything about me, really? Like, you could be as good at your job or as good at being married or, you know, whatever else you're going to be at. But if your blood sugars are bouncing all over the place and you feel like hell and you're hurting your long-term health, like what's the point of the rest of it? Like that's gotta be first. Right. So, and Jocko, uh, right. Jocko's the, the military guy, right? Was he a seal? Yeah. He's a retired Navy seal. Yeah. Is he the guy that puts like the time he gets up in the morning on his Instagram every day? And it's like some ungodly early time. Is that the person yeah. I'm thinking of? Yeah. He, t- he takes a picture of his watch every morning. He gets up at four 30 and works out. God bless him. He deserves to be in good shape if he's up at 4.30. I I try to wake up at 4.30 and there's going to be a noise from my knee and my ankle and my lower back that's like, brother, you better lay back down. (laughs) But... But I guess I'd be better off if I was up working out. But let's not uh, let's not do too much. So I think what I've learned here is that um, it's just like when I'm talking to people privately and you'll talk for like 45 minutes and sometimes you end up laying, I'll end up laying things out and I can tell it's the first time they've ever heard them. But in the end, whether it's the first time they've ever heard them or it's the 50th time and they're finally going to listen, a lot of the times I feel like my role in that moment is just, a, it's a pat on the butt. It's like, you could do this. Move your basil and see what happens. 
try this and see what happens. You, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think sometimes people just need a voice to say to them, what's the worst that could happen? Like, it, you're only moving at point one. Like, I said to someone, we were doing right. a Zoom the other day, and I, the lady's like, can I move my kid's basil from, you know, where it is to this? And I was like, look, I don't know. Like, for certain, I can't tell you. I'm like, but what I can tell you is the kid weighs 40 pounds, and you're asking me about moving his basil point oh five. I'm not a doctor, but I don't think that's going to kill anybody. Like, give it a shot and see what happens, you know? And I said, and if his blood sugar starts going down, put it back. Like, you don't, you know, you're not, you don't have to stand there and watch it. It's, it's, you know, there's no rules like, oh, you moved it. You got to leave it there. Um, so that's, right. that's really excellent, man. I, good for you. I, I, I think that's wonderful. I'm going to, I'm going to say thank you and let you go. Uh, and then I just, I, I want to tell you one more thing privately. So if you don't mind, can you hold on one second? Yeah, absolutely. Sean, I appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much. Hey, huge thanks to Sean for wanting to be on the show, share his story, and give encouragement to younger people who'd like to be of service to others. And thanks to Dexcom, makers of the G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. You can learn more about it at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. And of course, the Omnipod Tubeless Insulin Pump and its free no-obligation demo offer can be found at myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And don't forget to head over to touchedbytype1.org on Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Check out that Dancing for Diabetes program. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.